welcome to the Let's Get Uncomfy podcast. I'm your host, Annie, Air Force officer turned serial entrepreneur, author, CEO, fitness expert, and personal growth junkie. Honestly, though, guys, I'm just like you. I choose every single day to get uncomfy in pursuit of what others consider unlikely. And that's exactly how I built a life I am freaking obsessed with. And I want you to know that you're capable of the same. Here in this fam, yes, you're officially a part of the fam. We choose every day to quit our excuses, ditch the negativity, and embrace our best lives. Literally nothing is off the table when it comes to the conversations we're going to have together. We'll chat fitness, mental health, relationships, personal growth, business, and I'm certain we're going to laugh together. But please don't hold it against me if we cry together too. I know you'll leave this episode with the confidence and excitement to grow from your mistakes, pursue your passions, and ultimately own your life. Now let's get on with it. It's time to get uncomfy. All right. Well, hey, we have Sarah Jane Case here. Guys, if you don't know Sarah Jane, you need to. She runs an amazing podcast called Enneagram and Coffee. She sits down and essentially has coffee with people, you know, via podcast. And so Sarah Jane, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And so we are just Honestly, I think we should just dive in here. We are obviously talking about the Enneagram today, and I kind of wanted to just ask you first off, kind of what is the Enneagram for people who maybe they know of personality quizzes and all that sort of stuff? What is the Enneagram specifically? How does it differentiate from like a lot of those other things that are out there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the simplest way to say it is the Enneagram is like a personality typing assessment. So it breaks you down into nine distinct types. Each one has a basic fear, basic motivation, and that kind of exhibits into specific behaviors. What makes this so different than something like Myers-Briggs or even like astrology is that it goes a level deeper and it, and it doesn't cover just like what we're doing with this, but it really gets into why we do what we do and therefore how we can kind of separate ourselves from it. So we don't have to live out the patterns that we thought we had to live out. I love that. I'm, I'm actually so curious. I'm not going to tell you what I think my Enneagram type to be, but at the end of this, maybe based off of just like my personality, the way I speak, the way I answer things or talk about things. I'm curious if you think you know what my Enneagram is, but what I was going to ask next is kind of for the people who are less familiar. And honestly, even for myself, people who are familiar with maybe their type, but less familiar with other types, right? How do you feel about kind of just giving a rundown of, you know, numbers one through nine and maybe a few strengths, a few weaknesses, kind of just a little vibe of each number. Yeah, let's do it. So we'll start with type ones. Type one's the perfectionist. This is the type that's so focused on being a good person, doing the right thing. Kind of the focus of attention is like the world is a broken place and it's my job to fix it. Ones are amazing at attention to detail, at really thinking through what's the best possible way to do something. And they can get hung up on constant reforming. Like they're never quite done. It's never quite good enough. It could always be improved. Then we have our type twos and they're the helper. They're focused on being loved, being liked, and they want to be lovable. And so some to their focus of attention tends to be on serving other people, meeting other people's needs. And the kind of worldview here is that everyone else is in need, but I'm not. Um, 
And so this can actually be, this is such a beautiful thing, right? Like in the high side of this is like, you make people feel loved. You make people feel welcome. You do nice things for people. And then on the low end, we get into like, okay, this is actually an attempt to earn love, right? Like we're, we've learned, these type twos have learned that like getting love is something that you give to receive. And so there's actually expectation and attachment there that maybe the two's not fully aware of. And then we have our type threes, which are the achiever. Their focus of attention is on constantly improving, wanting to be the best at everything that they do. They are really focused on success and they fear being worthless. So a lot of their energy around growth and achievement and avoiding stagnation comes from the place of like, if I'm not doing, then what am I doing here? You know, like what's my value if I'm not constantly succeeding? And so on the high side, they're so motivating. They're constantly doing really interesting and inspiring things. And they really do typically like succeed in life. Now on the low side where this doesn't always serve them is that they might cut corners in order to get somewhere faster. They might attach to the illusion of being successful instead of actually living out a successful life. And sometimes they lose attachment to joy because they're so focused on achieving. They don't realize that the journey kind of sucks. So their work is really in how do I enjoy my life while also working toward these goals. Mm. Then we have our type four, which is the individualist. Type fours are this like magical being. They have a, there's kind of this fear that they have a missing piece. Like if they could get something, if there's just something outside of themselves, if they could just have that, then they would feel better. That would be the ticket to them being as whole as they assume everyone else seems to be. So they can struggle with like envy or comparison, but they have this like magical capacity to, you know, just see the world in this beautiful, intricate kind of romantic ways. They really meet you with authenticity and they engage with their full presence of all of their emotions. And so in that way, on the high end, like we're able to be more fully ourselves. They call us into depth. They call us into magical ways of being. And on the low end, they can be so focused on what they're missing that they don't realize what they already have. And they may not realize that they are becoming kind of self-absorbed, right? Like when you're so focused on like where you're falling short, where you're going wrong, how you could be better, it's actually kind of a self-absorbed way to be. So that balancing that is kind of their struggle. We have our type fives, which is the investigator. This type is fears being incapable or incompetent. So they kind of, they compromise that or they compensate for that by being as informed as they can possibly be. They want to know everything about everything. And this type also manages their energy levels pretty intensely. They have really strong boundaries. They pay attention to, you know, if they feel tired, they, they rest, if they make fear being depleted and they kind of store up. So our type fives, kind of the high end of here is a really beautiful example of healthy boundaries of, you know, listening to your energy levels and making sure you get your needs met. But on the low end, when that goes a little bit too far, you might find yourself kind of emotionally unsupported, you know, feeling like people don't really get to know you or you don't have the support you need, or maybe even like you're isolated from people. So then we move on to our type six, which is the loyalist and type six, they fear being without support and they really value um, security and certainty. 
And so there's kind of this constant scanning for like, where's the answers? Where's the certainty here? Who can I trust? Who can I not trust? What's real? What's not real? What could possibly go wrong? So the high end of this is they're very loyal friends and partners and teammates. They're very loyal to their jobs. They follow through, they work hard, they believe in the causes that they support and they go all in. On the low end, one of their biggest fears is like letting people down. So sometimes they feel like they can't make the decisions they need to make for themselves because they could let their boss, their parents, their family down. And the other side of that is if we're constantly trying to tell the future, we never really get to be in the present, right? If we're, and you're kind of living out these traumas that may never even happen to you. So you're, you know, if you're constantly fixated on what could go wrong, then you're living out all of these bad scenarios and they may not ever even exist. Mm. And there's a lot of scientific evidence and our bodies really can't tell the difference. So that's the struggle of our sixes. So our sevens, they're the enthusiast. Um, our sevens are afraid of being trapped in emotional pain and they fear limitations and um, they love options and possibility. Um, this is kind of the the high side of our type sevens is they're enthusiastic. They believe in possibility. They're open to opportunity. They, they see the road that could be well-traveled and they believe that it's going to be good. Sevens can make really boring tasks, really fun. And they typically are just inspiring, excitable people who are fun to be around and they're relatively charming. And then the low side of our type seven is that they can be sometimes like quick to call themselves experts before maybe all of the information is there. So, you know, one of my favorite teachers, Helen Palmer, she calls it, they like to equalize authority, which means like my boss isn't really my boss. Like we're peers or even as a boss, like I'm a seven and, and I like for my employees to feel like they're my boss sometimes I could like for it to feel even. And, and that can happen too. When you get a new, you get a new interest, it's your interest. And all of a sudden you're talking as if you're an expert before it's like quite ready. Mm-hmm. The other thing for our sevens is um, they lean really heavily on their charm. So the charm is really strong and they've kind of learned like life is easy. Everything's magical. I'm just like lucky. And they don't realize how much that is actually just them leaning on being charming and kind of a lack of follow through. I'm a little harder on the sevens. I'm like, here's all of our problems. Cause it's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then we, we get into eights and eights are the challenger. Their fear is of being controlled or being harmed. And the high side of our ace is that they're incredible leaders. They can step into a situation, they can take charge, they know what needs to be done and they will do it. They're hard workers, they're dedicated, they're really incredible protectors and defenders. Now on the, and they honestly, they say the things that we all need to be. Sometimes you just need someone to say the hard things and that's our they will just tell it to you straight. And I for personally find that really relaxing because I just know where I stand with someone. I don't have to guess. I like to know on the low side is sometimes people don't really take that direct style of communication very well. It can be misinterpreted as like, oh, you're being mean to me. Or in sometimes some eights will be like, yeah, I am being mean. <laughs> it depends on the, you know, who you're talking to and their motivation, but like They're just oftentimes just being, they're saying what they think and they're not sugarcoating it. And that can be really hard. The other side of our eights too, is that they do struggle. They do want to not be controlled. And sometimes because they don't want to be controlled, they take control. And, and that can feel that 
that can be one really exhausting for the eight and two difficult for people in their life who maybe want to have a say. Um, and then our final type is type nine, the peacemaker. This type is focused on their own peace of mind. They want to feel relaxed. They want to feel good. They really value connection. They don't want to sever connection. So that can cause them to kind of soften themselves and their opinions so that other people feel like they can be the full expression of themselves around them. Um, so that means that the nine might not even really fully be seen for who they are, but everyone around them gets to be seen for the fullest version of who they are. So mm. on a high side, right, this is incredible for the people in their lives who want to be heard and seen and loved for who they are. They oftentimes they see both sides of a story. So they're very good mediators. Now on the low side, when you're talking to a nine and you just want to complain about somebody, they're going to say, but have you thought about their perspective? And that can make the person who's complaining feel like you're not on their team. And our nines, they, they numb out to life. So when things get stressful, they kind of zone out. So they might look on their phone. They might play video games. They might watch TV, whatever their version of kind of numbing to life is. Um, just so they don't have to feel the stress, but that that can limit their ability to feel all the good things too. Mm. So I know I said, I was like, I'll have you guess what I am. I'm going to go say it because I just was listening and I'm like, oh, that's me. So I'm actually, I'm an eight wing seven. Okay. And so it's so funny that you say about the eights, you know, the mm -hmm. very direct people sometimes misinterpret that as being mean or rude, or I've been called a bitch for saying <laughs> some things that sometimes I'm like, wait, but is that not the truth? And people are like, yeah, I guess that's the truth, but you're a bitch. And I'm like, I, what? <laughs> I'm like, it's been hard for me sometimes to like yeah. understand that people don't receive that sometimes the same way that I meet. I mean it in the best way, mm -hmm. like with the best intentions, but it doesn't get received that way because I might be talking to, you know, a two you know, or mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't receive that well. And so that's been super, super interesting to me as I learn more about my type. Yeah. And I, you know, and I do corporate training sometimes on just like, how do you work together? And when we talk about feedback, when we talk to about eights, I say like, you need to give them quick, direct, blunt feedback. And I'm, I'm, I, you need, no one ever believes me like ever. They're always like, no, I can't do that. I'm like, they will trust you more if you tell them the truth and you tell it, you don't sugarcoat it. Cause if you sugarcoat it, they're going to just call BS. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's actually so crazy. Cause the times in my life where people have told me, Hey, Annie, I don't appreciate that. Or, you know, I, I understand that's the truth, but however, like that really hurt my feelings or mm -hmm. it made me feel this sort of way. Then I'm able to step back and reflect and be like, Oh shoot. I honestly didn't know. Cause mm -hmm. I, I have found a lot of times in my life that people, you know, aren't willing to come forward and say things to me sometimes because I am a lot, you know, I am you know, almost aggressive sometimes where I'm just, I'm just coming on with a lot of passion. Right. <laughs> so, so the wing side of that though, I was going to ask you, you know, what's up with wings, right? So we hear a lot of times, like, you know, you see, you know, what, whatever wing, whatever, does that mean that you're not truly that type? Or do you have the strengths and the weaknesses of the wing type? Or do you just have the strengths or just the weaknesses or how does that work? Yeah. So I, you know, 
every school kind of teaches this a little bit differently. And I think that's why it's one of the more confusing elements to people. But the way that I approach it and the way that I teach it is that, well, this is agreed upon. Your wing is the two numbers on either side of your dominant type. It's one or, or both of those numbers. Where people start to differ is if you only have one wing, if you have both wings or you know all of that. My school of thought is that you have access to both wings and both wings generally are something we need. So like for our eights, like seven makes you lighter, more playful, a little bit more silly. Nine helps you to relax and calm down and kind of find your zen. And so you need both of those wings, but typically one or both of us will lean into one or the other. And one will then typically become more dominant, but that doesn't mean that some people don't have balanced wings or some people don't really even feel like they're accessing either of their wings. And I think like growth move for us is to attempt to balance our wings. So to be like, okay, if I'm leaning, I'm a seven wing eight. So I lean really hard into eight and I have to intentionally be like, okay, Sarah Jane, like come over here to six a little bit, like be more loyal to your family, like be more intentional with, you know, moderating things and really thinking things through. Like that is, that is trickier for me because I'm like two assertive types, you know, I'm just like, go, go, go. So yeah. So the goal is to moderate them and kind of balance them out, but we definitely can access both the high side of those intentionally and the low side of either of them. So they're kind of like flavorings on our dominant type structure. I love that. So if somebody, you know, takes a test, which actually at the end here, I'll kind of ask where is the best way to go see what type you are, but we can touch on that later. But like, if somebody's like, yo, I'm a four, right. Mm -hmm. Is it good to know a little bit about the three and the five? So you can kind of then be like, oh, Hey, I have this part of me and I just need to tap into it. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. That is helpful. I need to definitely read more about the nine because I've read a lot about sevens. Cause I have been told that's my wing, but it's interesting hearing you talk about the nines. I'm like, huh? Like, I know I have that within me. It's definitely harder for me to access though. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, what I wanted to ask a lot of people listening today in the audience of the let's get uncomfy podcast, they are in the business and personal development sphere, but really wanting to kind of do really well in their career and, you know, um, and in life in general. But what I was going to ask is, you know, how does knowing your Enneagram almost facilitate and could facilitate in a professional or career sense? Yeah. So I, you know, I think about, I, I could talk about this for the rest of our lives. Um, cause this is like my area. I was like, how do you relate to work based on your Enneagram type? But the really like kind of all encompassing thing that I could say is our Enneagram type is this message that we've received about who we have to be right? So in a work environment, we think I have to be this thing or I will not succeed. And it's actually often the very thing that keeps us small. So as I said, I'll use myself as an example, as a seven, like I've thought I have to be happy. I have to be constantly satisfied. I can't live in sadness. And so in my career, I've built out for most of it. I had to unlearn this tendency to give up on things a little too soon, because as soon as they started to feel bad, I was like, Ooh, I'm out. Like this isn't feeling good anymore. I'm going to find the thing that feels good. And that would always like limit the opportunity for success because I would give up on it before I ever got the chance to really see its life, you know? And so the work of the seven is committing. It's like the thing that keeps you small. So every number you, the thing you think you have to be 
you know, perfect, um, helpful. You have to be successful or seen as successful. You have to find the thing that makes you a whole person. You have to be completely informed. You have to be loyal. You have to be in charge. You have to be at peace. Like these are the things that are limiting us and keeping us from actually reaching our fullest potential. Mm, I like that perspective that you just gave there. And would you also say like, in terms of people, so a lot of, a lot of people that are listening to this are also entrepreneurs, people that are starting things for themselves. Let's say if somebody, what's like the least, uh, I'm not going to say least leader Enneagram, but like, what's an Enneagram that like typically won't take leadership roles? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say our type sixes would be less inclined. Okay. So what would you say to the type sixes who are, they're wanting to start a business or they're wanting to start their own thing or, you know, you know, really pursue a passion or go for whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. But they, now they know they're a type six and they're like, Oh, whoa, I'm not, I'm not meant for that. You know, like, would Mm -hmm. you say that? I think that actually, it almost just talks on what you talked about that knowing that they're not technically leadership role doesn't mean they can't be the leader, but what would you say to them? You know, how could you tap into then that leadership role or how could you tap into something that's not necessarily your type? Does that make sense? I think that was a really long question. No, I think that's good. And I, you know, I, I think that this leads me into like this other segment that or like section of the Enneagram that we could talk about, which is that we have withdrawing types. We have assertive types and we have compliant types. And so our compliant types are six, two, and a one. They're the compliant types, which means that they want to just follow the rules. They want to be told, this is what your role is here and you should follow it. So for our compliant types, thinking oh my about- God, that is like the opposite. Me too. <laughs> that like yeah, gives yeah. me heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I'm, I know. If you tell me what to do, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Sorry. I just had to say that. Oh no, that's right. So our compliant types, you know, stepping out into the role of like starting your own business, a lot of your work is going to be releasing the idea that someone needs to tell you how this works, that there's a right way to do it, that there is a perfect business out there because the reality is every business is different. Everybody gets to structure their business their own way. And you can invest in people who will teach you like, okay, here's how I've done it before. I do that all the time. I do it multiple times a year. I think it's really important. And you still like your practice is going to be releasing the idea that there is certainty and releasing the idea that there is a one right way. I like that a lot. And I so believe that, that there's not one right way. There's not a time that you're ready. There is not Mm -hmm. a perfect answer. It's all on a journey and we're all figuring it out. So I think that, I think that's super powerful for those compliant types to hear that probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like for our compliant types, like no one's going to come in and be like, here is the way it's you, you're the decider. You know, I, I think the sooner that we realize that there, those types realize that I think that even almost gives them permission to be like, Oh, okay. This thing I've been waiting for the permission Mm -hmm. or the directions or the instructions, like it's not going to come. So it's going to be super uncomfy to (laughs) start to form that for myself, but okay. I just heard her tell me, you know, speak right to me, you know? So for guys, if you're listening and you're one of those compliant types, here's your, your lesson. I, or not lesson maybe, but your the word directly to you. The thing you mm-hmm. should rewind and listen to again. So we talked about career and professional business oriented entrepreneurship wise. How about in relationships? How does the Enneagram affect the way relationships, romantic relationships, friendship relationships, family relationships? How does that 
what's the connection there and how can we use the Enneagram to almost improve our relationships? Yeah. So I think the first piece, I usually teach this in three tiers. So I think when you're looking at your Enneagram type and you want to improve your relationships, you start first with the relationship you have to yourself. So really start to notice the message that you're constantly hearing of what you have to be in order to be good enough. That is the thing that needs to be like loved on and, and create like a safe compassionately curious environment for who you are and how you operate in the world. Um, so that's like step one. Then step two, we get into like own your stuff. Like you need, it's like time for you to own the parts of you that are not working in your relationships and the Enneagram will hand it to you so intensely (laughs) and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. Um, it makes you feel exposed. I still, to this day, I read, I'm rereading one of my favorite books, And I like read something to my husband today and I was like, Oh, I don't like it. I don't like reading it, but it's, you know, it, that's, I now know what to hold. It's so funny that you say that. Cause I actually, I'll look through so many of your posts. Like you post a lot of those, like, Hey, you know, Enneagram type eights or eight wing seven or whatever. And I'll look at them and I'm like, I look at the strengths and I'm like, heck yeah. Like, look at me girl. Uh -uh." And then I'm like, I get to the weaknesses or like the, you need to fix. And I'm like, Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, eh, we could just, we could just not look at that one, <laughs> but that that's so true. Owning your stuff, owning your stuff. I think the Enneagram is actually so brilliant on that. Cause we do get stuck on the positives and we're like, yes, that's me. And then we're less, we're less apt to own the negative side, but most likely that is honestly probably the shit that we need to own and really, you know, be honest with ourselves about. And, you know, I think you and I are both, you know, seven and eight, we're really high confident types. So I think in general, like we probably like ourselves a pretty decent amount and other types have a harder time with accepting the good. Um, so you and I, like our particular happy struggle is like, I have to look at my mess and the more I can look at my mess and own my mess and be kind of light about the fact that like, yeah, I create environments where people aren't always like able to feel safe around me. Like for, you know, speaking for myself and because of that, if I can own that and I can come to you and say like, yeah, that's probably something I did. Cause it sounds like something I would do. Then the people in my life get to be safe, right? Like they get to know, it doesn't mean that I have to immediately be better. It just means that I own that. This is what I bring to the table and they don't have to carry it for me. And then for other types, you know, I, I know our fours and our twos and our ones, like they're much more likely to focus on like why they aren't good enough. And, you know, all of our types kind of have a balance there, but they're going to want to focus on like how messed up they feel they are instead of really accepting, like, actually you have a lot of really good qualities too. So there is that balance, but then I think that moves us into the third piece when it goes into actually like working with someone else's number. And, you know, as we get into relationship with people and we know their type, I think that the most important thing that we can do is use the Enneagram for its language and not its numbers. So if I get to know you as a type eight, then I can ask you questions that are better suited to you based off of how I understand you versus assuming that I know things about you because I know your number, because we still are humans, you know, outside of our type, outside of this number that we have, but it's very tempting. And I, we do it all the time to be like, oh, they're being such a five right now. I'm like, oh yeah. Instead of being like, oh, they're being such a five, where did they get the message 
that this is what they had to be or what part of them is hurting here or what part of them is trying to survive right now. When we can kind of come at it from that perspective, we're able to offer and open up for connection and compassion in areas where we act, we have a complete option to, you know, limit connection and say, Hey, I already know you, I got you figured out and I don't like it, or I do like it. And that reinforces the idea that you're supposed to have been it. Instead, I can just ask you much better questions. Right. I heard it's phrased one time, actually, that I, I really enjoy that, or it, in a way I really enjoy is like by knowing your partners or your spouse, if you're with somebody, you know, knowing their type, knowing their number and all that stuff. And also like kind of reading up on a little bit about them. It's almost like learning their language a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, if yeah. you're in a relationship with somebody, you speak English, they speak German and you guys are both trying to speak German at the one that speaks English and English at the one that speaks German. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, you know, but the second you take a little bit, you know, Hey, I'm going to learn a few German phrases. You know, I, I'm going to learn a few English phrases, better communication there. Cause you're speaking their language. It's like me, I've had to do a lot of almost like self-actualization to be like, Hey, this is the leadership style I've been leading with. Cause it's who I am. You know, it's a very eight style. It's very blunt, direct. I say the things that probably a lot of people, you know, it's the truth, but maybe they don't want it said in that certain way. And understanding that not Honestly, I think the biggest kind of like mind blow thing about the Enneagram for me has been like, not everybody's an eight, like very actually hardly anybody I know is an eight, I feel like. And now I understand that. So I've been able to step back and be like, okay, hey, you know, how, what's a way I can communicate better with a six? What's a better way I can communicate with the three, with a two, with a one, four or five, whatever it is, you know, and understanding that a little bit better. It's like, it's helped me relate to people in a better way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remember what we limit in ourselves, we limit in other people. So if I, as a seven, am not allowing sadness or complaining or stress into my life, then when someone else comes to me and they're hurting or they're stressed or they're sad, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we need to fix this. Mm -hmm. Put bills on and I don't just let them be, you know, if we resist whatever we resist internally, I think it's resist weakness. You know, if you're constantly not letting yourself show up in your weakness, then when someone else comes in with their weakness, it's like, whoa, you need to toughen up. And so the more compassion we can have for ourselves and the more we can allow ourselves to to be more than our Enneagram type, then the more we, we allow for the people in our lives. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's actually a really good transition into kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about really quickly as we kind of wrap things up here is, you know, how can we, you know, be knowledgeable about the Enneagram, talk about the Enneagram, know ourselves in our Enneagram, but not stereotype mm-hmm. ourselves or other people. Yeah. You know, I think that we, we touched on a little bit with that, like, let's go into the Enneagram talking to other people with the language, but not the numbers. So that's a really good exercise is if I'm, if I'm interacting with you and I know you're an eight and I never say the word or even try it. If I hear myself thinking, oh, that's a very eight thing, replacing that with the language. So if I can say, okay, Annie did an eight behavior. I can say instead, oh, Annie, felt like I was trying to control her. And so she, she stood up for herself. Mm-hmm. That is a completely different conversation. Then I can say, Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't actually trying to tell you what to do when we replace it with a number. Then what's happening is we're saying, Oh, we simplify it. And we close the chapter. We're like, Oh, she's just being an eight and we walk away. And so we limit this access that we have to actually interacting with each other with the depth that the Enneagram does actually bring us. 
Mm, I love that. Yeah. So true. Having the the human conversation Mm -hmm. as opposed to just, you know, yeah. Saying, ah, that's just who you are, you know, Yeah, Um, yeah. and moving on. Oh, I love that so much. Sarah Jane, this has been such a really, honestly, for me, a great conversation. I hope everybody listening, they've probably taken so many tidbits away. The last thing I'm just going to ask is, you know, somebody on here and they're like, wow, I need to figure out really what type I am. Maybe they haven't done the actual look. They've just seen the, the memes on Instagram, right? Where can they go to take a good accurate Enneagram test or assessment? Yeah. So honestly, I would say you can take the test at integrative9.com. It's a little bit pricier, but it's a lot more accurate. Or if you go to like the Enneagram Institute and take their test, just when you take a test, don't take it for law, like whatever your results are, um, take them as a starting point, like a place to start your research. And then I highly encourage you to grab a good book and really just like read up on the basic fears, the basic desires, and then type yourself from there or hire someone to do a typing assessment, but honestly prioritize reading a good book because at the end of the day, with all of the elements of the Enneagram, you are interacting with almost every number at some point or another. And so knowing each of the types is going to be so beneficial. Are there good books you recommend off the top of your head? Do you know titles of a few maybe? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you about mine. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Tell us. And then that was the other thing is I was going to ask, like, you know, tell us where people, they can come to you. They can I don't know if you do assessments, you know, kind of tell us, tell us where people can go. Yeah. So, you know, my, my book is the honest Enneagram. It's perfect for people who are wanting to either get started with the Enneagram. So it's like new or people who are like needing a little bit more of that compassionate look at things. If you're craving, like, how can I feel understood in look at this through a compassionate lens, then the honest Enneagram would be the right book for you. Other books that I really love is anything by Helen Palmer. And if you're into, if you want to go really deep into subtypes, then Beatrice Chestnut has an amazing book called like the complete Enneagram. Those are kind of my two favorite authors. Okay. I love that. Um, you did say that people, you know, maybe an option would be paying somebody to do a typing. Do you do that? What, what do you offer? People are that. If people yeah. are loving your vibe, you know, what, what things do you offer? Cause I know you do multiple things. Yeah. So the, the number one way to connect with me and work is I do the brave collective. It's an online community. We focus mostly on how does your Enneagram type interact with the way that you spend your time. And I'm a full believer that especially women in our society, we are controlled by how we use our time. And so if we are the deciders of our time, then we're the deciders of our lives. And so I, yeah, my focus is on how do we understand your Enneagram type and then use that to help you to make the most of your one precious life. And we do that in the Brave Collective and that's at thebravecollective.co. And, and then you can find me at Enneagram and coffee podcast and Enneagram and coffee on Instagram as well. Yay. Oh, I love that so much. And guys, we will have all of that linked in the show notes. So, you know, you can go click on the link and you can head to all of the things she just talked about. We will have that set up for you guys. So Sarah Jane, I'm just going to say thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your energy. We are so appreciative here at the let's get in comfy podcast. Thanks for having me. And it was so fun. Of course. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye everyone. (laughs) That is all for today, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Hey, I'd be so grateful if you took one second to send this podcast to one person, you know, would love it. 
And also don't forget, leave a five-star review because honestly, go big or freaking go home, Becky, okay? <laughs> don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or a follow if you're listening through Spotify. Also, go ahead and check this out at letsgetuncomfy.podcast and myself at Annie underscore fit life fit me on Instagram. Tag us in your stories. Let me know how you're getting uncomfy and what you loved about today's episodes. Now, go do it. Go get uncomfy. Pursue what others consider unlikely. I double dog barrier.